So these are two action-packed chapters of Daniel. I'm thinking, wow, who combined these? Um, But there is so much I believe God wants to teach us. And I want you to think about some of your dreams of the future, dreams of your children and your grandchildren, uh, dreams of your great-grandchildren, and um, what they might be like and the heritage of faith that you are giving them. God offered Daniel and us a glimpse of our Christian, and to Daniel, his Jewish heritage, a greater understanding of God's plan for the ages, for the nation of Israel, and for us, the church. I'm going to focus our time this morning on chapter 9. There was no way we could get through all of this in um, 30 minutes, and um, I didn't want to try anyway. So we are going to focus on chapter 9, and I want to unpack Daniel's prophecy in chapter 9. What was God telling Daniel, and what has he revealed um, for us through his prophet Daniel that he is calling and calling us to understand God's word does not return void. There is something in this prophecy for every single person in this room. That is a promise he tells us. So we're going to unpack it. I confess that prophecy is usually something I am real happy, you know, reading about all the horns and the goats and the rams, and then I'm just kind of done, and I don't spend a lot of time really digging it out. I'm a very visual learner, and it's hard for me even to sometimes visualize that. Um, But God has just convicted me in the study of Daniel that prophecy is a part of our heritage, and it's a part of God's plan for us. In chapter 10, Daniel is praying because the people have ignored the prophets. They haven't heeded the prophet's warning. So that's a warning to us. We've got to figure this out. So this morning, we're going to unpack prophecy in two things I want to look at. The prelude to prophecy in chapter 9, and then the vision in chapter 9. So let's start with the prelude to prophecy, um, and specifically Daniel 9, 1 through 2. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. This prophecy starts with scripture. Daniel has just had one of those aha moments where you open your Bible and God has a word for you. Daniel was in the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah, and he has just figured out um, by reading what we would call Jeremiah 29.10 that God's plan for Jerusalem is to get them back there in 70 years. And specifically, Jeremiah 29.10 says, This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Once Daniel read Jeremiah's words and understood the timing, I think he was ready to get on his knees and call to his heavenly father and say, Lord, we're ready for you to fulfill that promise. He was first in scripture. The second thing Daniel did is he prepared for prayer. And um, our commentary on page 134 said that preparation for prayer and worship is as important as prayer itself. For without a heart that is right with God, our prayers are just so many pious words. And what a beautiful example Daniel was of getting ready for prayer. In verse 3, chapter 9, verse 3, Daniel says, So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth, and in ashes. Ladies, he had a formal beginning to that prayer. 
Um, it implies faith, devotion, and full focus on the Lord. I'm thinking Daniel put his iPhone up. He put his computer away. He got rid of every distraction he had. And look at the first words. So I turned to the Lord. He turned his back on everything else that was going on, all of his worries and his concerns, and he got face first with his heavenly father. He also fasted, and that was just so if he started feeling hunger pains, he had already decided, I am not going to eat. I'm just going to pray right through it. He put on sackcloth, which means he took off his comfortable uh, jeans and tennis shoes, maybe, and put on something that was itchy and scratchy. And that would just remind him every time it rubbed his skin that he was fully dependent on his Father in heaven for every comfort, everything he needed. And he also um, put on ashes. And ashes were just symbolic of mourning, of death, of things dying. And so Daniel put on ashes. Again, another reminder to himself that God is life. God is everything. So he was dressed and ready for prayer. Kind of like being dressed and ready for battle. Daniel is a great example of being fully ready for prayer. The third thing I want to talk about in the prelude to prophecy is that Daniel just prayed so boldly. If you're looking in chapter 9 or up on um, the overhead, verses 18 and 19 I thought were so sweet. And in my group sharing time, this is what a lot of the ladies wrote down is the verse they picked up there. Give ear our God and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests for you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. That is a bold prayer. I mean, I think if prayer can be called persuasive, Daniel gets some kind of award for just boldly saying, God, listen to me. Hear me. Hear my cries. And he's already confessed his sin. Um, he's acknowledging God's character as the one who is righteous and who is merciful. Daniel was acknowledging he was fully dependent on God for getting them back to Jerusalem, but he wanted God to answer pretty quick, and he was asking for God's timing. So does prayer matter? Because I think a lot of times in our culture people say, you know, prayer really doesn't matter. It makes Christians feel better. What a beautiful biblical example that prayer matters to God, that God is hearing. Um, Daniel didn't have our Bible, but he had Jeremiah's scroll. He knew the promise that God had made, and he gets on his knees and calls his heavenly father to fulfill that promise. Daniel's heart and his mind were ready. All he needed to do was prayer. And what do we see happen? Faster than a speeding bullet, here's Gabriel, right there with Daniel, um, verse 23. As soon as you began to pray, Gabriel says, a word went out in which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, or your Bible might say greatly loved. By God, he, Gabriel's talking about. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Ladies, the minute we get on our knees and start to pray and our heart is right, God is hearing us. Now, we may not get the speeding bullet, Gabriel, but we are getting God's attention. We're getting his understanding. We are getting his compassion. God immediately sends Gabriel and gives him the vision of the 77s. And so that's what I want to unpack. 
Um, there wasn't a lot in our group discussion about the 77s. That's, I think, why I was convicted to unpack it. So let's talk about the 70 weeks or the 77s of prophecy, um, which take us through the end of Daniel to 927. So the second half of this chapter is all about this third vision that Daniel receives. Um, which, ladies, is one of the most important in Scripture because it's one of the first visions we see that isn't just about the Jewish people, but it is about us. And I think that is a key message for me in this vision. God isn't just telling Daniel about the Israelites' future. We are in this vision. So let's take a look at where we are. And let's start with Daniel 9.24. Seven sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. All right, did I just lose anyone? Seven sevens, seventy sevens. You know, this is probably about the time that I would go and just read it and get through it mode, not the unpack it mode. I mean, I'm confessing that is what I do sometimes. Woo, let's just read through so we can, you know, kind of be done with it. But let's unpack this terminology just a little bit, the 77. Some of your Bibles might say weeks where mine says sevens, depending on the translation. And let me explain that. Um, we might assume that seven would... Um, mean a week. In fact, the um, Hebrew word for weeks is actually a plural of the word sevens, and that's why some of your Bibles say sevens and some of them say weeks. Um, it's kind of like the word dozens in English or a few in English, but like we can have a dozen years, we can have a dozen chickens, a dozen donuts, um, lots of things, that dozens. The way the Hebrews word for weeks or sevens is, is the same kind of word. It's like the word dozens. It can be a dozen of anything. So you have to think in this, in our Bible then, a seven or a week could be a seven, seven of anything or a week of anything. We're not talking about days. The most biblical scholars would say that the word seven or weeks here is talking about a year. So you, as we read this, instead of sevens or weeks, you can kind of substitute the word years if that's easier for you. Um, now, as I was thinking about this, uh, you know, I was like, oh, how come it doesn't just say years? You know, didn't we, can't we just write it the way we want it? And I was just reminded of when you travel and um, you have to kind of assume if you're going to another country that things don't always translate. Like a handshake may not be the same. You know, a nod may mean something inappropriate. Um, and when I was in college, I did, um, I was a communications major and we studied a lot about how translations don't always work. And some of the things that have happened in my lifetime that had been big gaffus, which I think help us see that we, things don't always translate, are like when the Chevy Nova was introduced, um, and there it is, that lovely muscle car, um, was introduced. Um, well, Nova means new star in Latin. But in Spanish, Nova means no-go. And so um, Chevrolet, you know, introduced the Chevy Nova in Puerto Rico, and no one bought the car. Um, and so they had to rename it the Chevrolet Carib or Calib or something. But, you know, it just didn't work there. Kentucky Fried Chicken, when they uh, took their finger-licking-good campaign overseas, when they went into China, it meant eat your fingers off. Not exactly what people were wanting in their chicken. Um, Jolly Green Giant, when they first launched in the Mideast, um, meant the, um, where is it, the Intimidating Green Ogre. 
so no one really wanted to eat his vegetables. And then Pepsi, um, my mom was Austrian, and so German was her native language, and I remember Pepsi introduced this campaign that was Come Alive with Pepsi. Well, in German, the translation is Come Alive from the Grave. Um, so people weren't really buying Pepsi either. So, so you know, ladies, some things just don't translate. And so I would say, if you're struggling with the 77s or anything in Daniel's prophecy, take off the, it's all about me, and the way I need it to be said, the way I need to understand it, and just approach it as, I am going to take it with an open mind, um, with a clear point of view. I'm just going to learn what God has for me, and I'm not going to get caught up in you know, seven, you know, all the craziness of the words and the language, I'm going to look at what is God trying to teach me, even though the words may not make the most sense to me. Um, for example, we're going to talk about time. Well, the Jewish calendar isn't the same as our calendar. It's a lunar calendar. It's 360 days. There are no leap years. What happened to the zero year when we went from B.C. to A.D.? I mean, it could have driven me crazy. So I finally just had to say, I just got to accept that it is and that God is way wiser than I am. So if I don't get it, that's really okay, but I can accept it. So let's unpack the prophecy, and we're looking at Daniel 9.24, and it says, 77s are decreed, there's that seven, so 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now, I told you I'm a visual learner. You have a handout at your spot, and I'm going to kind of walk us through that handout with this prophecy. So you can take notes on it. My charts are a little different because I don't draw as good as I can print on a computer. Um, but what I want to point out is that God is telling Daniel that at the end of these 77s, six things are going to happen. So this is what looks like at the end of our prophecy. Chat verse 24, six things are going to happen. This is the end of our prophecy. Transgressions are going to be completely finished. There's going to be an end to sin. An atonement for wickedness is going to be made. Everlasting righteousness is going to be brought in. Vision and prophecy will be sealed up, and the most holy is going to be anointed at the end of the 77s. So I'm going to put it down here. We will come back to it. Thank you to Kay Wyma who figured out how my charts can flow. Um, I appreciate that. All right, so we've unpacked verse 24. 77s, we'll come back to those, but at the end of this vision, we've got those six things, and we'll talk about those in a minute. Let's look at verse 25. This explains when the seven sevens and the 62 sevens are going to begin. So this is telling us when the prophecy actually starts clicking away. From the time word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. All right, our clock starts then with from the time word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. We know Daniel is on his knees because that is not happening. That is what he's calling God to do. So let's look at where Daniel is in the timeline. I mean, I am a visual person. I got to have it right in front of me. So here are a couple things. Jeremiah's prophecy that we talked about, 2910, was probably written about 605 B.C. 
Now that is also the timing, 605, that Nebuchadnezzar starts taking people out of Jerusalem and deploying them into Babylon. It's the time we're told that Daniel was probably deported. Okay, right around the same time that Jeremiah wrote his prophecy. You have the first taking of captives by Nebuchadnezzar, 605. The destruction of the temple happens about 586 B.C. So not that long after, um, the Israelites are, you know, conquered. They're starting the deep, the, those huge deportations. Their temple, their holy city is just uh, um, destroyed. Um, Daniel's vision, we know, is in 539. Then there are some decrees. So I'm going to put this down here, and we're going to talk about um, you know, what are these decrees or what is the decree we're looking for that starts our clock ticking and these sevens beginning. Four decrees are noted in Scripture, in Ezra and in Nehemiah, that have to do with people returning to Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the city and the rebuilding of the temple. Cyrus certainly sent people. We know that Daniel was, was um, there were people that had already gone back to Jerusalem and Daniel was not with that group. Um, but out of the four decrees, really only one of them has to do with the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem and the temple, kind of the whole thing. And that is going to be um, Nehemiah's um, captured it, and so I want to talk about that. So if we go to the decrees, and I'm not going to go through all that scripture, but the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, the one we're looking for that starts the vision happened in 445 B.C. Artaxerxes makes a decree that allows Nehemiah, that great prophet, to go back and begin building the city, the temple, the moat, all of the pieces now are in place from this decree. And let's read Nehemiah together so you guys um, see this. And I'm going to uh, skip some of that and just pick up um, a couple parts. Um, in verse 4, um, now Nehemiah is um, with Artaxerxes. He's Artaxerxes' cupbearer, kind of a similar position to Daniel with Cyrus. He was a very esteemed prophet in captivity, serving a king. Um, and so he is with Artaxerxes, and the king says to Nehemiah in verse 4, what is it that you want? Because he could tell something was up with Nehemiah. So Nehemiah says, then I pray to God of heaven, and I answer the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Then the king said, or then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Okay, I'm going to skip down to verse 8 and end with, and because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. Ladies, our vision has just started. Artaxerxes issues a decree allowing Nehemiah and the Jewish people under him to return to Judah to start rebuilding Jerusalem, the city, the moat, the temple, the whole package. Okay? We know there were multiple rulers. They all thought they were in control. But this is the, the decree that starts our clock ticking. So our vision has started. 
Um, historians will tell us this is probably around March 4th, 445 BC. Um, so give or take a few years, this is where I have to let go a little bit. The sevens begin, let's unpack the sevens. Okay. All right, verse 25 um, and talks about these seven sevens. So let's look at it. Know and understand this from the time the word goes out to restore and build Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens, and it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. All right, what we know is that that first seven sevens was actually a period of 49 years. So seven times seven years, a seven would be 49 years. That's the time it took the Israelites to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, a period of 49 years. That's that first seven. Then we have 62 sevens that take us up to the time the anointed one comes. Now, ladies, the, Jew, the Hebrew word for the anointed one is Messiah. Who do you think we're looking for at the end of the... 634 years okay we're looking for Jesus so if I take the seven sevens and the 62 sevens they add up to please check my math because that is not my gift um, 69 sevens which if I take the 69 sevens and just say okay let's just use years that's what I'm used to it would be 483 years which would be 173,880 days Using the Jewish calendar, not our calendar, less the leap years. Then what do you do with zero? So, so we're close. We're real close there if you let go of a little bit of that. But we have from the time the decree is issued to who? Jesus, the anointed one, 173,880 days. Okay, just pause there for a minute. What a God we have that he is so specific and has told us when the Messiah is coming. There is no mistake if we are in Jerusalem in 33 AD, which if you actually go 173,880 days, it would put us in March or April 33 AD. Who do we see riding into Jerusalem on a donkey being declared the King of Kings? It's our, it's our Savior. Jesus Christ. Let's look at Mark 11, 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage in Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside the street, tied it at a doorway. As they untied it, or tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem that day, ladies, as our Messiah, as the King of Kings, 
about 173,880 days after Daniel's prophecy started. God had told them, look for the Messiah, the anointed one, and had told them, based on their calendar, even to the day or close to it, that the Messiah would come. Don't miss how much our Heavenly Father loves us. He does not want us to miss a thing he has planned for us. All right, so the prophecy has just given us pretty much the day. Um, so let's unpack Daniel um, 9.26. After these 62 sevens, um, actually I forgot my chart with the Messiah on it, so I'll put it there. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who have come to destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. So 926 starts telling us what happens after the 62 sevens end. And there appears to be a little bit of a break here before we zip in and go into the 70th seven. This, ladies, is called the gap of time. Something happens between the 62 seven, seven and the 70th seven, and it is us, ladies. This is the church. This is the gap of time. So 926 tells us that the, the anointed one is cut off in Leviticus 27.10. That is the Hebrew word same as crucified or killed. Christ was cut off just within days, less than a week after he rode that donkey into Jerusalem. The anointed one is cut off. Jerusalem and the sanctuary were destroyed by Rome in 70 AD. So not long after Christ is crucified, um, 40 years or so, they destroy Rome. And this takes us to this gap really in the prophecy. And aren't we glad we are standing in this gap? This is us. This is where God has kind of stopped the timeline because the, the Jews missed the Messiah and he is building us, his church, his people. We are in the gap, in the vision. All right, let's keep going to 927, um, which will take us to the final, um, the final seven. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. This is the 70th seven if you're doing your math. We had seven, then we had 62, and now we're at the, the one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out, out on him. The last seven years of this vision, ladies, is the final tribulation. Um, and we're going to talk about it a lot next week because it, it is the vision in <laughs> Lucina. <laughs> I'm leaving it for Lucina next week. It is the vision in um, Daniel 11 and 12 that we'll look at. But it starts with, the 70th 7 starts with a covenant. This verse tells us with he, and who is he? Well, verse 26 said it's a person who comes from the people that destroyed Jerusalem. That would be the Romans. So we know he's going to have ties to Rome. 
We don't know a lot more than that. We've studied him. Remember the visions and things we've learned about him? We learned that he changes the calendar. We learned in the previous visions, we've seen this guy, the little horn. Um, we have seen the Antichrist popping up in Daniel's vision. And here it t he tells us, from the time this guy signs a covenant with Israel, the last seven clock starts to run. So within that timeline, we know from the time he signs it, there are seven years. So the 70th seven is our last block of 70 years, and it has two things in it. Um, this verse, 927, tells us for three and a half years, there's going to be this covenant um, that will allow the Jewish people to um, practice sacrifice in their temple and really worship the way they did when Daniel was a child. But then, after that three-and-a-half-year period, we have something different coming out of this guy. This is when he um, sets up an abomination in the temple that causes desolation. This is when he's going to call for all of us to worship him. This is when we have the final battle, and God pours out his wrath on the earth um, and on this creature and all of the great things that, that our book of Revelation really takes us through. Um, so what happens at the end of the 70th seven? Our Messiah comes back for us. And then the vision really stops. Christ at the end of the 70th seven comes and ends the tribulation. He establishes his kingdom on heaven and we know from scripture that the temple is rebuilt. And what happens, ladies, when Christ comes? All of these six promises in, in verse 24 are fulfilled. No more sin, an end to wickedness. We're done with transgression. Um, everlasting righteousness. I mean, Christ will be truly our earthly king, not just our heavenly king. Um, vision and prophecy will be sealed up. We won't need them anymore. Our Lord and Savior will be standing right in front of us. We'll be done with trying to understand this kind of stuff. And the most holy place will be anointed. We will have a temple on earth where we, we worship and live with the King of Kings. That is Daniel's vision. All right. Well, I hope Daniel's vision has taught you something. Um, a couple things that he definitely taught me. Um, one is that God is really in control of history. There is no doubt in my mind after studying this vision. I get it. I don't always get it, but boy, I get this one. Um, Jesus was the predicted Messiah. I mean, if you have friends that challenge you on that, what a great group of scripture. I mean, we only did five verses, really, in here to help them understand that Jesus was the predicted Messiah. We didn't get it wrong. Um, and that God is going to keep his word for Jesus coming again. He did it almost down to the day, if I could just figure out the calendar better. I know he's going to do it. We don't know when that 70 of 7 starts, ladies. But I am standing with you in the gap. And this is our time. This gap of time is us to build God's church, to make sure our friends and neighbors 
are going to be ready for that 70th seven with us, that our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren have the legacy of faith that they're going to need to be able to be at that temple worshiping, praising, and shouting for their Lord and Savior, their Messiah, at the end of that 70th seven. Don't miss the blessing of prophecy. God has something for each of us in it. Let's close in prayer. Ah, Heavenly Father, we just, we thank you for prophecy, and we thank you for Daniel, and um, just your word this morning, Father, and how much you love us, that you would have this scripture um, recorded and protected through the ages, Father, so that 2,000 years later, we can still um, just learn and grow and be thankful that you are in control. Father, I just um, pray that you open our arts and our minds to um, the lessons that you'll have with us for us in this next two chapters as we look at even more prophecy, Father. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Ladies, have a great week. We'll see you next week.